I tell you, it is so good to be standing before you all today and not preaching to a camera. That is so nice. And I'm sure even from your end, right? Better than looking at a computer screen somewhere, right? Or if you're on your phone or tablet or however way that you've been watching. And I know that there are, there are several at home that are following us today. And, we, and it's, it's, we're, I'm so thankful. I've shared the last two weeks just the investment that this church has made over the years to be able to be prepared for such a time as this, as you've been in, as we've been in for the last year, and to be able to continue gathering together for, for worship. Let me, let me ask you all, uh, a show of hands, who here has dealt with kidney stones before? Who here is dealing with one now? Your first, mine too, bless your heart. I tell you, I, this isn't to, to be disrespectful, but there, I might need to just have a little bit of a sit during our time together this morning. Oh my goodness. So um, I hope that you joined us last week because today's message is part two to last week. So I hope that, I hope that you participated last week or watched it during the week. Last week, uh, we began looking at 10 habits that will cripper, cripple, excuse me, that's the medicine, that will cripple, golly, Maybe I should sit down now, right? Ten habits that will cripple any church. <laughs> you don't know what you're in for today, do you? Woo. Last week, we got through the first three. They're up on the screen for you. Um, these uh, habits have been compiled by authors Tom Rayner and Stephen Gray. Rayner wrote a book a little over ten years ago called Essential Church. And yes, I did read this. You wouldn't think I would stand up here and promote a book that I haven't read, right? I, I even have notes in here and stars and stuff to be able to prove I read it. But yes, Rainer wrote and, and compiled the first seven of these, and Stephen Gray wrote an article a couple of years later, adding two, adding three to those seven, making them ten. And, and we're, we're using these, uh, I'm using these for this, this sermon series um, to, to sort of get us, as we're talking about vision and future and dreaming and our mission strategy going forward, looking at these 10 areas of caution for ourselves to make certain that we haven't gotten ourselves in any sort of, of, of crippling state and to ask the right questions and hopefully answer those questions appropriately regarding our current state our current status, so that as we gather together, and our plans are to be able to gather together and have open discussion and to be in prayer, like our 40 days of prayer and reflection that we're currently in, to be able to open up and, and have moments where we're gathering together in small groups and, and having these questions. Ten ha areas where we need to be cautious as we're going forward. Ten habits we need to make certain that aren't present. Ten areas we need to work into our core values and beliefs. Areas that should be foundational to God's church that will shape us, shape our ministries, shape all that we do. And so, as I said, the, the three that we covered last week are on, are on the screen. Uh, we looked at what it, what it looks like when we drift doctrinally. The effects of, of watering down Scripture... Uh, hoping to not lose anyone or, or, or maybe possibly just to keep a status quo. What do we shy away from in Scripture? Or what do we sort of cut corners on in regards to Scripture? And how that leads 
to biblical illiteracy within the church. How when you drift doctrinally, it leads to having a church that doesn't really know what it's supposed to believe. It knows some foundational principles, but even Paul says that, you know, I, I have to, every time I talk to you, I have to talk to you as if I'm giving you spiritual milk. When are we going to move past that? When are we going to move on to the steak and potatoes? This is a church that, that is biblically illiterate, can, can be led to believe just about anything. Because it doesn't know the scriptural integrity of their doctrine. And the third crippling habit we looked at last week, we called it evangelism atrophy how witnessing and evangelism is is never meant to be a church program it was to be a lifestyle that each of us carry with us into our oikos so that those were the three that we covered last week and today we're going to cover the next three that's presented in with to us in the essential church book here and and in uh, Stephen Gray's article and and we're doing this not so that we can be critical of ourselves but so that we can be aware of the foothold that satan may have gained within the body where he may have gotten us off course so that we can open up and have the discussion of 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 why are we in a particular state and what changes may be necessary in order for us to alter course, safeguard God's church, and commit ourselves to not seeing these habits um, have an effect or cripple us in our mission and ministry. In Matthew chapter 9, we have Jesus calling Matthew uh, a tax collector to be a disciple. Now, tax collectors were hated. They were despised because they worked for Rome. Rome was the occupying force in Jerusalem in the area at the time. And they were taxing the people on behalf of this outside pagan foreign government. And in fact, the tax collectors themselves would have been a Jew, would have been Jewish. And so they would have been working for that pagan government. They would have been seen as betrayers. And it was a betrayer that Jesus is welcoming and calling to be a disciple. It is a betrayer that Jesus has gone to his house to eat with him. So in Matthew 9, verse verse 9 here, we have as Jesus went on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, he told him, and Matthew got up and followed him. While Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples. When the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? What we find here is that Jesus associated himself with people the Pharisees would never have associated themselves with. How dare he go into the home of a sinner? They didn't just think that in their minds. They spoke it with their lips. They said it out loud. How dare he go there and eat with them, interact with them? Well, a church who refuses to go into its neighborhoods, its community that is right there, that they are planted in, in the homes of those who may be different from them, 
Well, that's definitely the side that the Pharisees have taken right here and there. On hearing this, verse 12, Jesus said, It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. Now that's from Hosea 6. For I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Jesus was always looking for the rejected to bring in. He was always looking for those that the religious establishment had rejected, had ignored, who refused to associate with, to bring in. A crippled church is one who is more concerned for themselves and people who are like them than they are of understanding what this verse means. So Jesus said, go and study what this means for yourself. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. And when we are more concerned about these three traits today, these three habits today, than we are on the mission that we've been given, then we have definitely become a crippled church. So let's look at the fourth one. This is when a church cares more about getting the name of their church known than they are the name of Jesus Christ. They've turned outreach to be more about getting people to come to church than it is about getting people to come to Christ. They'll say that what they're doing is about bringing people to Jesus, but there's a fine line here that we walk, that, that, that we can walk on, that we need to be careful and look out for. I've even heard well-meaning people say, if, if so-and-so would just get into church, then their lives will get straight. But is that really our mission? Is that really our goal is to get people in church? If you just get in church, your life will get straightened out. That's not what we promote. That's not what we're about. The church doesn't solve problems. Only Jesus can. When you think about it, a lot of what we do entails inviting people to church. Asking those in the community, asking those in the world to come to us. For them to visit our turf because we're a little bit more hesitant to visit them on theirs. Think about the things we say. Come and see what God is doing at my church. Come and see what God is doing here. You should come to this program. You should come to this event. We we present the church to people. We market the church as if the church is what we're supposed to be marketing. But it's not. It's not the church that needs to be promoted. It's saving faith in the person and work of Jesus Christ. That's what we need to be inviting people to. But, but we've been conditioned to believe and to thinking that we're just supposed to be inviting people to church events. And so our, our evangelism atrophy, the, point from la- the last point from last week, our evangelism has atrophied it. It has, it has sort of like molded, melded into this new thing. It's, it's not about sitting and talking to people about what Jesus Christ has done for them. It's about, hey, 
come to church. Instead of inviting people to Jesus, we're inviting people to church. We're marketing the church when what we're called to do is to be the hands and feet of Jesus Christ. In a lot of ways, what we're prone to do is invite people to come in and view the church and see if they like it. And if they like what we're doing here, then they can come to Jesus. Then they should come to Jesus. Then they should, they should become members of the church. And, and in, a, in a way, what we've done is that we've created an environment where people become a member of a social club... And they are not putting their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. They're putting their faith and trust and money and effort into building a social network. If that's our aim, it makes perfect sense why our doctrine has moved away from being scriptural. And our gospel has become watered down. And our evangelism is little to none. Those those first three habits. Because like I said before... One habit naturally gravitates and leads to the next one to the extent where we've developed a model of talking up the church instead of talking up the Savior. So listen to me. God is not interested in a church that markets itself. He's called the church to model, to mirror, to be the hands and feet of Jesus Christ to market his name because it's his name that is above every name and it is his name to which every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that salvation is found in no one else for there is no other name under heaven given to man by which we must be saved it is not the church it is not any church It's found only in Jesus Christ. This must be central and core to who we are and what we stand on as a church. Our responsibility is to see that the church embodies that sentiment. That it points to him first and not just a membership. Now, I know this might be a little bit before some of your time, but do you remember the movie Sister Act? You remember Sister Act? Sister Mary Clarence, who was a state's witness, she wasn't really a sister, but she was placed in the church to kind of hide her from the, the criminals that were looking for her. And the whole movie is about her, her seeing this dead, lifeless church and find a way to liven it up. And the one thing everybody remembers about this movie, what, from the late 80s, right? Was the music, right? I mean, there were churches that were copying the soundtrack from Sister Act in their churches because everyone was like, wow, that's great music. We should have that in church. Now, that's not my point in bringing it up. But, but this is what she did. She realized that the nuns that, that were in this Catholic church that they had no relationship with the people that were in the city streets around the church. And so they got, she got them out of the gates of the church. And, and they, they played with the kids. They cleaned the community. They interacted with people. And, and then people began to be interested in the message 
that the church had to give. And then people made their way in because the church saw themselves or presented themselves interested in their community, in their oikos. Now, I'm not saying that we should look to Hollywood for inspiration when we interpret Scripture. But there's something to be said about who we are. And we're the hands and feet of Jesus Christ. And those hands and feet are not just for one another in here. Although I believe there's a case to make for that in Scripture. But our evangelism is grounded, is founded in the idea that we must go and make disciples. The Great Commission is to go, not stay and make disciples. As you are going, be the hands and feet and very presence of Jesus Christ. And a church that seeks only promote itself? Well, who are, who are we focused on? That's our next point. That's the fifth habit. I suppose you could say it's a direct result of the previous one. A church that's focused on promoting itself is most likely one that's inwardly focused. Here's what Stephen Gray writes. While no one will readily admit it, all one has to do is look at the ministries and programs of the church. What can be quickly discovered is that most churches build ministries to satisfy the, quote, already fed. These programs are good in keeping the flock happy. So in other words, a crippled church is one that's only focused on themselves. They want their money to be given to provide the ministries that, that meet their wants, their desires, their needs, their interests. The, the ministries and programs designed are no different from that of a country club, a, a social club, just with a, a spiritual twist to it. I was presented a question this week that that knocked me back when I first read it. And I thought, you know, this, this is exactly what needs to be shared today. It's up on the screen. What decisions are you making based on the people who are not already in your church? Think about that. What decisions are we making when it comes to our budget, when it comes to our ministries? What, what decisions are we making that are based on those who are not already here. I think that that's a, that, that, that's a pretty thought-provoking question to ask. As we talk about vision and, and mission. As we lay out our core values. What decisions are we making based on people who are not already in First Baptist? If we're not considering our community's needs. Then who are we more focused on? Ourselves, the person who, who tithes the most, the person with the loudest voice, a long-standing program ministry, some sacred cow that we're unwilling to go after, to sacrifice, have a barbecue. If our talk is more about what we want rather than what our community needs to come to Christ, if our talk is more about what we want, rather than how to reach our community for Christ, then we've become too inwardly focused. And the results of that will be crippling. Salvations will be scarce. Baptistries will be dry. Classrooms and Bible studies emptier. 
You understand what that means. On page 155 in his book, I don't even know where I put it. Anyway, I was going to open it up, but anyway. Rainer writes, through the actions of many, people are hearing that the church is all about them, that the church is there to serve them, and that the church is the place for all their needs and desires to be met. Churches that are outwardly focused are sending a different message. The church is not about my needs. It's about how I can glorify God as I meet the needs of the community. That's the irony of the essential church. The outwardly focused church creates a place where people meet the needs, not of themselves, but of others. What are we focused on? What is most important to us? What is a core value, a core belief that is going to drive our ministries, that's going to drive our budget? I think that, that, that's where this question leads, where this thought leads. Is it going to be about ourselves? Or is it going to be about Christ? In fact, here's where Scripture says, Philippians 2.4, Let each of you not look to only his own interests, but also to the interests of others. 1 Corinthians 10.24, Let no one seek his own good, but the good of his neighbor. You know, we, we, we will tend to shy away from, from those verses whenever we're put on the spot. When our ministries, when our focus, when our drive, when what drives us is put on the spot. That's the focus of the church as intended. Love your neighbor. And that leads to our next habit. Grace says, dying churches refuse to reach out beyond their own comfort zones. When any real ministry does happen and dirty, sinful people walk in, it upsets the apple cart because they've placed a priority on their personal comfort. Reverend Derek Rigby of Trinity Methodist Church in England wrote about how he showed up to church one Sunday dressed as if he was the homeless one. He came wearing ripped up clothes, his hair was in a mess, stinking from pouring beer all over himself, and he went to church. Here's a picture of him in his cloth and in messed up cloth. No one in the church recognized who he was. He loitered around in the church parking lot and found that none of his parishioners had anything to do with him. And when it came time for the preaching moment at the church, everyone was surprised when he started walking up to the stage and taking off his hat and his wig and revealing who he was. Here's a quote for you. A church that's become crippled is one where everyone's become comfortable and they never consider leaving their comfort zones. Never placing themselves in positions, in, in a position to, to have their comfort challenged. Well, in Acts chapter 10, the apostle Peter had his personal beliefs and, and his comfort challenged. He had his core values challenged. Here's what, here's what 
Scripture records. About noon the following day as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up on the roof to pray. He became hungry and wanted something to eat. And while the meal was being prepared, he fell into a trance. He saw heaven open and something like a large sheet being let, let down to earth by its four corners. It contained all kinds of four-footed animals as well as reptiles of the earth and birds of the air. Then a voice told him, get up, Peter, kill and eat. Surely not, Lord, Peter replied. I have never eaten anything impure or unclean. The voice spoke to him a second time. Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. This happened three times and immediately the sheet was taken back to heaven. While Peter was wondering about the meaning of the vision, the men sent by Cornelius found out where Simon's house was and stopped at the gate. They called out asking if Simon, who was known as Peter, was staying there. While Peter was still thinking about the vision, the spirit said to him, Simon, three men are looking for you, so get up and go downstairs. Do not hesitate to go with them, for I have sent them. So you know the context of the story here, hopefully, about Cornelius, the Roman soldier, being visited in a vision, a dream, uh, you know, by God, an angel of some sort, telling him that he needed to send for Peter told him exactly where the house was and who he needed to ask for and that Peter would have a special message uh, for Cornelius and his family. And so at the same time, God is preparing Peter's heart as well because Peter, you know, you know he had some thoughts about who salvation was for at the time leading up to this, that it that needed to be promoted, needed to be taught to Jews first. Well, here's a Roman, and I shared with you earlier about the pagan Roman government occupying the area. And here's, here's a Roman official, a Roman centurion, who is asking for Peter to come and to, to share with him the message of the gospel. Here's how Peter responded when he hears Cornelius' testimony. Verse 34. I now realize how true it is. God does not show favoritism. And then he proceeded to tell them about Jesus. And by the ending of the day, the entire family, Cornelius' entire family was baptized. We see in this story Peter being called out of his own, yes, prejudices over who should and shouldn't hear the gospel. Peter was still a work in process. We are still a work in process. Even if the church is 130 some odd years old. Even if you've been a member of the church some 50, 60, 70 years. Even if you've been a believer for half that time. You'll, you'll get that in just a second. God told Peter, do not call anything unclean that I've made clean. This should convict us. This, this should convict us. For I wonder if Jesus were to step into this place and have anything to say about us. What might he call us out on when it comes to what we've called clean or what we've deemed unclean 
A crippled church goes only where and does only that which it considers comfortable. The crippled church plays it safe even when they believe or even when they lie to themselves and say that they're being faithful to the gospel the entire time. And it's because they've watered down that gospel. Because they're not really sure or being true to what that gospel is or who it's for. For I've come for the sick, not the healthy. Crippled churches fooled themselves. So, what can we do? What can we do regarding these three habits? What can we do to make certain that these crippling, neutering habits and attitudes don't find a home here? Or if they have, what can we do about them? But we have to make certain that we ask the right questions. We have to make certain that we ask the right questions. The right questions that draw these behaviors out into the open. And once we ask the right questions, then we have to answer them honestly as a church. Questions like the one I shared a few moments ago. What decisions are we making based on the people who aren't already here? Or how does our budget reflect or promote our personal comfort? How does our budget promote an outward focus, a community focus? How many events or activities do we have on our calendar that are more for ourselves than they actually are to reach our community? And those things that we do for the community, do we do them to promote the church or to promote Christ? Now, you know, maybe, you know, I could be wrong or ignorant, but I think those are some, some pretty thought-provoking questions, some convicting questions for us to keep in the forefront when we're making our plans and, 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 and praying our prayers and, and talking about, talking up core beliefs as we're putting these things down on paper during these coming months, as we're looking towards the future, as we, as we start sharing our dreams and, and holding them to a standard, I think these questions will be able to call out if those standards are from God or from the flesh, if they're based off the gospel or based off of comfort, if they're our priority, if they're what we're called to be and to do, or if it what's makes us happy I think they get right to the heart of the matter but I can tell you this unless a church repents unless its leaders recognize the state of the church and the direction it's in in regards to these habits the church will be crippled and Satan wins he wins because the church that has become so focused on itself that it is no longer having an impact for the kingdom of God. No salvations, no baptisms, or rarely if ever, lifeless worship, a happy and satisfied membership. Well, as long as 
that membership lasts. Is that really how we want First Baptist to look? How God expects his church to look? On the contrary, I believe that there is a hunger present in this place. I have been having great conversations. and There is a hunger and a thirst here that this isn't the norm. That these habits aren't wanted. Amen? I've been hearing it. But like I said earlier, this isn't to be critical. We're not going through this to criticize First Baptist Church. We're going through this to make First Baptist Church the church that God needs for such a time as this in the place that God has planted it. And that does mean taking a good long look at our community and how it has changed over its years. And to be honest with how we have been or haven't been involved in it. We should want to see lives changed. Lives turn around. Baptismal waters filled. Members serving. Serving one another. But also serving its community. Being the hands and feet of Christ. Never settling for being satisfied. But always asking. What's next? Where can we go next? Where can I be of help next? Where can we serve next? And when we're asking it like that, what is next? Then we'll never be satisfied with where we are. Now, I want to challenge us to be a church with that kind of heart. With that as our healthy habit. Staying away from the crippling one. And so if you're here today and wondering what kind of church this is, I couldn't tell you. I've only been here three months myself. But I can tell you what kind of church that I would love to see it be. And I'm going to work to see it be. And if you're, you've been visiting, you've been our guest... Let me tell you this. I hope you'll consider joining and letting the Lord use you here. But that's not what we're all about. More important than that. If you have never given a public testimony. And made Jesus Christ your Savior and Lord. That's. That's what we truly are about. And providing a place for you to grow in your knowledge and understanding of Jesus Christ. And in serving Jesus Christ here in this place and in this community as we seek to share that with those around us. And so we're about to enter into an opportunity and a time for you to be able to make that publicly known.
Romans 10, 9 says that if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you too shall be saved. And so we provide this time and this part of our service for you to make that publicly known and then get baptized, just as Jesus commanded. So yes, we promote church membership, but even before that, know Christ, crucified and risen. Pray with me.